Thanks for listening to this week's Hope at Crossroads. We are glad you're taking the time to listen. As you tune in today, if you need encouragement or prayer, please reach out to us by texting 864-288-1626. Or you can connect with us through our website, hopeatcrossroads.org. Spread the word to your friends and let them know they can subscribe at Apple Podcasts or on Spotify. And now, here's this week's message. Amen. Thank you, church family. I love saying that, church family. Those are two words that should go together. I love that. John chapter 9, if you have your Bible, if you'll go ahead and be turning there. While you're turning there, uh, it was during a worship service very similar to this that the pastor was preaching. I think I've shared this story before, and as he looked out into the crowd that day, most people were paying attention, but about halfway back, there were two guys that almost during the entire service, during the entire sermon, were talking back and forth to one another. And uh, just so you know what happens when that kind of thing happens in a service, it frustrates the one that's up front. And it frustrated this pastor very much. And he tried to stay on topic and he continued to watch these two guys talk to each other. And while he's preaching about the love of God, he's thinking some very unkind things about those two people sitting out there talking to each other. Finally, at the end of the service, it comes and people, as they began to exit the church, he went to one of the doors, which I try to do and our staff tries to do, and he was shaking hands and And these two men decide to come to the door that he's at to exit. And as they do, they're continuing to talk. And he's thinking, what am I going to say to these two guys? Because they were talking during the whole service. And weren't paying attention at all. And as they get to him, one of the men introduces the other guy to the pastor and says, this is my friend. And uh, we really enjoyed your message today. And, of course, the pastor's thinking, enjoy it. You weren't even paying attention. You weren't even listening to it. But he said, we really enjoyed it today. And he's not from America. He's actually from Thailand. So I was interpreting your message as fast as I could so he would understand what you were saying. Perception is an interesting thing. When you have the wrong perception, it can actually be deadly. We know as we're going to get into the the meat of the matter, if you will, as we continue our study in John, and Heath did a fantastic job last week with Jesus saying, I'm the light of the world, and as we follow the life of Jesus, as John kind of describes it as the eyewitness, uh, we'll discover that because of a certain group of people and their perception, Jesus died, just to remind us. It was their incorrect perception of who Jesus was that caused them to get very angry, not believe he was the Messiah, and ultimately have him killed. It was the religious people. And as I have been studying this week, church family, I have been extremely challenged and uh, convicted because I think the focus of these last few chapters as I have dug into it and gone back and even looked at what we talked about a couple weeks ago and what Heath shared with us last week 
It really is about perception. Jesus says, I'm the light of the world because if you're walking around in darkness and you can't see, you need to turn the light on so that you will see things the right way with the right perception. I don't know if you've ever uh, been stumbling around in a dark room like Heath described or if you know anybody who's blind, but it is uh, challenging from what I've been told. And so you have people in John chapter 7 that couldn't see. They didn't understand who Jesus was. You get to John chapter 8, and Jesus says, I'm the light of the world. In other words, you're walking around in darkness. Let's turn the light on and shed some light on this so you will see things with the correct perception. And then you get to John chapter 9, and Jesus kind of continues this teaching, and he uses a very excellent illustration that just so happens to be there for him, which is a blind man. If you wanted to title the message this morning, it might be something like how to know you're spiritually blind or maybe how to know you're spiritually mature or, as the case may be, uh, immature. Uh, uh, I'm like you. I live in the same world that you live in. It's very frustrating when you see people on social media who say that their Christians respond in certain ways and in the political environment and in our working environment and out in the school system and the like, it gets very frustrating. Oftentimes I will say to myself, how can people be so blind? And they're blind because they cannot see. How can we see? How can we see the way God wants us to see? Well, let's read this story together. I love this story. John chapter 9. As he, that's Jesus, passed by, he saw a man blind from birth. And his disciples asked him, saying, Rabbi, who sinned, this man or his parents, that he should be born blind? We'll talk about that in a little while. Why would they ask such a question? Jesus answered, it was neither that this man sinned nor his parents, but it was in order that the works of God might be displayed in him. We must work the works of him who sent me as long as it is day. Night is coming when no man can work. While I'm in the world, I am the light of the world. When he had said this, he spat on the ground and made clay of the spittle and applied the clay to this man's eyes and said to him, Go wash in the pool of Siloam, which is translated sent. And so the man went away and washed, and he came back seeing. Now, let me just stop just a second. Are you, are you putting all your emotional senses into this story? Because I'm, I'm already like eight verses in, and I'm already like, what? What? Really? What? I mean, what is already happening here is the disciples who have seen Jesus feed the 5,000, all the miracles that we've read about so far, the turning of the water into the wine, they see this blind man, and then they throw out this question of, well, is this man blind because his parents sinned? We're going to talk about that in a little while. Why would they say that? They throw out a crazy question. Here they are, the disciples. Then Jesus, when he sees this man, spits on the ground, picks up a little dirt, spits on it. I guess he kind of, you know, does like this with it, and then puts it on the man's eyes. Now, we read this in 2022 because we know the, the stories of the Bible, and we're like, That's, uh, yeah, of course, that's no big deal. Hello? 
Anybody got a health impediment today that would like to come forward? I've gone out here to the field and I have a bucket of dirt right here. And I'm going to spit in this dirt and I'm going to put it. Anybody got a sore knee, arthritis, anything I can do to help you? I mean, really? This is his solution. I mean, I'm engaged already. I hope you are when you, when you are reading what's happening here. He spits on it applies it to the man's eyes and tells him to go wash. And what is remarkable to me here when you read this is the man went away, away from Jesus, he obeyed, he washed, and he actually came back. If you know your Bible stories and you know of Jesus' healings, it was very few and far between where Jesus healed somebody and they actually came back after the fact, which is interesting. So the neighbors, verse 8, they see this. And those who previously saw this man as a beggar, they started saying, is this not the one who used to sit and beg? Others were saying, yeah, this, this is he. Still others were saying, no, but he, he's like him. And this man kept saying, hello, I, I'm the one. I'm the one. I'm the one. Others said, this is he. But no, maybe it's like him. And he kept saying, I'm the one. I love that. Verse 10, therefore they were saying to him, how then were your eyes open? And he answered, the man who's called Jesus made clay and anointed my eyes and said to me, go to Siloam and wash. So I went away and washed and I received my sight. And they said to him, where is he? The man said, I do not know. Verse 13, so they brought the Pharisees, him who was formerly blind. Now it was the Sabbath. <laughs> Now we're getting into the real meat of the story. Don't miss that. It was the Sabbath on that day when Jesus made the clay and opened the eyes. Again, therefore, the Pharisees also were asking him how he received his sight. And the man said to them, He applied clay to my eyes, and I washed, and I see. Therefore, some of the Pharisees were saying, This man's not from God. Because he does not keep the Sabbath. But others are saying, well, how can a man who is a sinner perform such, such signs? And there was a division among them. They said, therefore, to the blind man again, what did you say about him when he opened your eyes? And he said, he's a prophet. The Jews, therefore, did not believe it of him, that he had been blind and had received his sight. Until they called the parents of this blind man, the very one who had received his sight, and they questioned them saying, Is this your son who you say was born blind? Then how does he now see? And his parents answered and said, Well, we know this is our son and that he was born blind, but now he now sees. We don't know or who opened his eyes. We don't know. Ask him that he is of age. He shall speak for himself. His parents said this because they were afraid of the Jews, for the Jews had already agreed that if anyone should confess him to be the Christ, he should be put out of the synagogue. For this reason, his parents said, He's of age. Ask him. Verse 24, so a second time they called the man who had been blind and said to him, give glory to God. We know that this man is a sinner. He therefore answered, the blind man answered, whether he's a sinner, I don't know. One thing I do know that whereas I was blind, now I see. They said therefore to him, what did he do to you? How did he open your eyes? He answered them again, like the fourth or fifth time, I think he's trying to answer them. I told you already, and you did not listen, verse 27. Why do you want to hear it again? You don't want to become his disciples, do you? And they reviled against him and said, You are his disciple, but we are disciples of Moses. We know God has spoken to Moses, but as for this man, we don't know where he's from. The man answered, verse 30, and said to them, Well, here's an amazing thing. You don't know where he's from, and yet he opened my eyes. 
We know that God does not hear from sinners, but if anyone is God-fearing and does his will, he hears him. Since the beginning of time, it has never been heard that anyone opened the eyes of a person born blind. If this man were not from God, he could do nothing. They answered and said to him, you were born entirely in sins and you're teaching us? And they put him out. We'll stop right there. What a story. What a story. When I think about what we see here in this story, there's several things that come to light that I observe that uh, maybe are indicators, perhaps, of being spiritually blind or maybe spiritually immature. I think I've asked this question before, and it's asked often of me from accountability partners and friends, and the question is simply this, how do you know you're being deceived? And the answer is, you don't. That's why it's called deception. It takes some external force. As a believer, I would say it takes another believer or the Holy Spirit to help us open our eyes and help us to realize perhaps we're being deceived or that we're blind or that we can't see. There's, a, there's some indicators here that show us about the spiritual immaturity or spiritual blindness of the people. The first one is this. They blame the sin, and they blame what's happened to this blind man on something or someone else. And these are the disciples, by the way, who do this. They blame what's happened on this man or sin or somewhere else. There was a popular thought back in this day that if you suffered or if you had sickness, that you had either done something wrong or your parents generationally had done something wrong in sin. And as a result, this is what God is doing to you. Totally contrary. As a matter of fact, Jesus doesn't even address or answer their question except to say this man is the way he is, in short, to bring glory to God. It's interesting how people who don't spiritually see and have the right perception can start to blame things on something or someone else. But Jesus says here, the works of God should be revealed in him. Jesus pointed the question away from why and really on to the idea of what can God do with this. Let me just pause here to say this. All of us in here, including the preacher, are imperfect You may have a condition, it may be a physical condition, it may be an emotional condition, it may be something even that somebody has clinically given you as some condition. Dear friend, I want to encourage you with something. God did not do that to you. God allowed that. It was not something most probably that happened as a result of any sin in your life as so much a result of the fact that we live in a sinful world. The question is really, and we, some of us wrestle around with these things, that we, because of our character, or our height, or our eye color, blah, 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 or whatever physical thing that is not the way that we want it to be, we wrestle around with some of those things that we can't change, some things we can change, some things we cannot change. The things that we cannot change, perhaps the question is, God, not why did this happen to me, why did you make me this way, but perhaps the question is, God, what can you do to use this to bring glory to yourself? And they weren't asking that question. They were asking much like chapter 8, chapter 7. The wrong questions. 
And here's what's very, very scary. Wrong perceptions lead to wrong conclusions. And if you have the wrong perception and it leads to the wrong conclusion, it can be very, very dangerous. I was talking to a young uh, person this past week. And the perception among culture is... Climb the corporate ladder, do this and do that, make money, take care of your family. None of those things are necessarily bad. But what this person was quickly discovering is the ladder they were climbing was leaning against the wrong wall. And your wrong perception about life, about your mate, about God, about church, wrong perceptions can lead to wrong conclusions. Just like the two men who were sitting out in the congregation talking and the pastor had the wrong perception. He thought they were just jibber-jabbering during his sermon. It's very scary. And these, it is easy for us, even as children of God, sometimes to become spiritually blind and start to blame other things or other people. And if you want to know if you are in that category, one of the ways I know that I'm in that category Occasionally, believe it or not, I still can find myself in that category is if you get into a spot where you're not acknowledging your own personal responsibility for yourself and your relationship with God and responsibility for your sins, then you're spiritually immature. Man, we live in a world in 2022 where nobody wants to take personal responsibility for anything. And when that happens, that's a sign of immaturity. But here's another thing that I see here. If you look down at verses 10 through 12, they continue to ask this man. The neighbors, eventually the the Pharisees chime in, the religious people, they start, they continue to ask him these questions. And we find out in verse 14 eventually, because John tells us here's really the deal, it was on the Sabbath when this happened. Which leads me to the second observation that I see here is spiritually blind people will be more concerned with religion than relationship. They were not even concerned with the fact that this man had physically regained his sight, a miracle. They were concerned with the fact that Jesus did this on the Sabbath day. Who does he think he is? Wow, this is when things are supposed to not, like that, are not supposed to happen. That should happen on some other day. Spiritually blind people often give importance more to religion than relationship. They were shifting the attention from the person who had had a miracle done for them to the religious, their religious observation of the Sabbath day. It's scary. We'll talk more about that a little bit later in the message. The third thing, though, that we see in verses four, the early verses here of 4, 5, and 6, 7, we'll go back and read them here in just a minute, is this. Spiritually blind people often see problems instead of opportunities. This man was uh, a problem for them. He was a blind man. He was a beggar. There's other stories in the Bible, two or three other stories in the Bible that we read, where Jesus 
walks by and he sees blind people. On this occasion, we know, we read that Jesus went to the blind person. If you remember, there's another person in the Bible who was blind. His his name was Bartimaeus, and he was a beggar, and he actually cries out through the crowd. And Jesus weaves his way through the crowd and says, wait a minute, somebody's calling. Go tell him and bring him here to me. So there's only a few places in the Bible where we read where Jesus encountered someone who's blind, and Jesus did not see these people as problems. He saw them as an opportunity to go to them and to meet their needs so that God would get the glory. So here's the question I asked myself this week. As you know, I ask myself questions when I read God's Word. Do I see people as problems or opportunities? Do I see situations that God puts in front of me as problems or opportunities? The degree that I see them as opportunities is the measuring stick. It's the degree that will show me if I'm spiritually mature or if I'm spiritually immature. And Jesus says this is an opportunity. As a matter of fact, he says in verse 4, We must work the works of him who sent me as long as it's day. Night is coming when no man can work. In other words, let's get on with what we're supposed to be about. There's tons of opportunities here to bring glory to God. But yet the people only see him a certain way. How do they talk about him? In verse 8, here's what they say. Here's what John says about them. The neighbors, therefore, and those who previously saw him as a beggar. Hello, the guy was blind, but now he sees. And you're identifying him still as the man who was previously known as a beggar. Names are important. If you go down to verse 13, says, John says, They brought to the Pharisees this man who was formerly blind. The man, we know, doesn't rest in that identity. He doesn't rest in the identity of, I was formerly a beggar, I was formerly blind. The man says, I can see! I can see! All I know is I couldn't see, and now I can see. What a radical change in identity. Jesus saw this as a great opportunity. The fourth thing that I see here about spiritually blind people, spiritually immature people, is they ask the same questions over and over and over again. How much longer till we get to grandma's? How much longer? Five minutes later. How much longer? Five minutes later. How much longer? How much longer? You remember that as a kid? I did that all the time. I think I've shared that with you. My mom and dad finally just started saying six and a half. No matter how far it was, miles or hours, they would just keep saying six and a half. And I was back there in the back seat going, six and a half. We're stuck. We're stuck in cyberspace. It's always six and a half. What's going on? It just messed with my mind. But it got me to be quiet. Six and a half. They continue, these religious people continue to ask questions. In verse 10, they ask the blind man, how did this happen? How were your eyes open? In verse 12, they're like, where is Jesus? In verse 15, they ask him again, how did this happen? In verse 17, they're like, what do you got to say about this? In verse 19, they go, okay, we're going to go talk to your parents. We don't believe you. Verse 24, they say, how did this happen again? Verse 26, they go to the man again. What did Jesus do to you? How did he open your eyes? And finally the man's like, you aren't listening. Spiritually blind people, the reason they ask questions sometimes over and over again is because their hearts are hardened. 
And the hardening of a person's heart, we're going to talk about this in a few weeks when Jesus begins to tell the people that I'm going to have to leave you, but I'm going to send one behind that's going to be with you for always. He'll be the comforter. He's the Holy Spirit that I'm sending to you. And one of the things that will be a reminder of is, and we'll get into that when we get to that passage, is how important it is that we don't harden our hearts because when we harden our hearts, it's harder for God's voice to penetrate and for us to be able to hear. A person who's spiritually mature is striving to tune in to the voice of God and to hear the voice of the Holy Spirit and to hear the great shepherd, which we'll talk about next week. Here's what I've discovered. Here's just a little bit of free advice for you this morning. Because I see it happen all the time. If you and I are in a conversation with somebody, in person, online, at work, at home, wherever, and they're spiritually blind, free advice. Stop arguing with them. Why would you argue with a person who's spiritually blind? Because they have no way to perceive, they have no way to to tune into what it is that you're trying to say to them. Because their hearts are hard. You can pray for them and pray that the power of the Holy Spirit will soften their heart and that God will remove the veil off their eyes so that they can see and they can hear and they can understand. But if you're trying to win an argument, you are wasting your time. And I've often done that. The only thing that does is get your forehead very, very, very bloody because you feel like you're just banging your head against a brick wall and nothing is happening. Next thing I see here about this, about these religious people, is they ask people. The fifth thing I see is they ask people who aren't even there to give feedback about a situation, to give evidence about a situation for which they were not even there. They call out the parents, they track the parents down. Because they need a different person to substantiate this evidence and to bring credibility. They're hoping. They're hoping that there's some conspiracy going on. And they're going to pull the parents in and call the parents in. And the parents are going to go, oh, no, 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 no. He could see forever. He just had a, he just had a speck or something in his eye. You know, from riding the camel out there in the desert, some dirt flew in and he couldn't see for a while. You know, that, they were hoping that this was some big conspiracy plan. And they were going to catch Jesus into faking it. And they were going to be able to say, well, this wasn't really a miracle. This guy could really see all along. The tone of their question implies that they wondered if the parents were in on this. It wasn't a very very nice way that they entered into this conversation. What do they say? The Jews didn't believe it. Verse 18, they, 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 he had received sight. They called the parents of the very one who had received his sight, and they questioned them. That word question them is interrogated. It wasn't like they nicely came in. Come in and sit in our office. Just said, we just got a few, like teacher's conference at school. We just got a few questions about your child. Wasn't that? It was like, hey, this guy, your son, says he couldn't see, and now he can see. What's the deal? Are you, what, something going on here? I mean, they were interrogating them. They weren't happy. Which is kind of the next thing that you see here. Interrogate people. Spiritually blind or immature people often interrogate people instead of investigating for themselves. They get all the way down to verse 24. A second time they call the man who had been blind and say to him, Give glory to God. In other words, not 
Jesus, give glory to God, because we know this guy is a sinner. And the man answers, whether he's a sinner or not, I don't know about that, but I know one thing. I know I was blind and now I see. What an incredible testimony. You don't need a long testimony. That's pretty much it right there. I was blind, now I see. One commentator said it this way. It was so frustrating for the interrogators because neither statement that this man made could be refuted. The fact that he said he could see was reinforced by what and confirmed by what his parents said. And then the truth of the matter was he obviously was looking at them at that point and they could see that he could see he was having a conversation. Yet they were still blind. What else do we see here? I've got to wrap up. Number seven, I think it is. They were more concerned, in your outline it should say this, they're more concerned with the method than the result. Not end result, but method than the result. I, I've thought a lot about Jesus, why, why he did this this week. Because we know Jesus, it, when he multiplied the fish and the loaves, we don't know how that happened. We don't know if it was just poof. or We don't know how that happened. We don't have the details of how that happened. Jesus could have done the same thing with this blind man. He just could have said, we're going to pray. Boom, open your eyes, you can see. He could have touched his eyes with his hands. He could have seen. He could have just said, head home. By the time you get home, you'll be able to see. He could have done any number of things. But he chose to spit on the ground and stir up some dirt and put, his, put it on the man's eyes. Why did he do that? I wish I could tell you that I have a commentary written by Jesus that gives us the exact answer. That would be nice. If somebody could get, create a new Bible that has a commentary with Jesus in the back, that would answer all of our questions, wouldn't it? I don't know for sure, but as you get to know Jesus, there's a few things about him we all could say and we would figure out by reading the New Testament. And one of the things that we will quickly find out about Jesus is, Jesus wants to make sure that we all understand there's no secret formula to getting anything from him. Church, hear me this morning. I'm learning this with you, okay? The reason God, I believe, and I believe Scripture will back this up. You study at home. If you disagree, come show me where I'm wrong. Don't just take it because the pastor preacher says it. I think many times the reason God does something new, something different, something that we don't expect, something unusual, something out of the norm, is because He doesn't want us to get comfortable and think, we've got Him figured out. If we just do A, B, and C, Jesus will do D, E, and F, and we'll get what we want, and He's a magic genie. And Jesus says, you don't know me very well, because I'm not your magic genie, I'm God Almighty. So the fact that He did something totally different, Maybe that's why, I don't know. Based on his character, I would say it's a pretty, pretty good reason. Maybe he wanted people to understand the power is not in the method. The power is not in the method. The power is not if we're in this room or we're in that room. The power is not if we sing this song or we sing that song. The power is not if we're inside or outside. The power is not if we have TVs or no TVs. The power is in Almighty God. 
That's where the power is. So the methods are going to change and the methods are going to be different. But if we miss plugging into Almighty God, we miss everything. And I think Jesus, if you study Jesus, this is personal opinion, but I think Scripture backs it up. I think Jesus was a little bit, which is why I love, another reason why I love Jesus, I think Jesus was a little bit of a rebel. I just do. Huh. I don't know this for sure, okay? I don't know this for sure. I do know that Jesus knew it was a Sabbath, because he's God. And I tend to think, maybe he thought, okay, it's a Sabbath. There's a lot of ways I could heal this guy. Huh. I'm going to kneel down and just spit and mix a little bit of mud together. I'm going to poke the religious people a little bit. Because again, if you know Jewish culture and Jewish history and all the laws of the Old Testament, one of the categories of work that was expressly forbidden to happen on the Sabbath was this law called kneading, not N-E-E-D-I-N-G, but K-N-E-E-D-I-N-G. Kneading, which meant the K-N-E-A-D-I-N-G. There we go. Kneading with a K in the front. Okay. Spelling was my favorite subject in school. D minus in the first grade, and they said, move along, move along, move along. But this idea of kneading, which was where you would make mud or clay with simple ingredients, normally with earth and saliva, that was forbidden to do that on the Sabbath. And yet Jesus, okay, I'm going to heal this guy by one of your forbidden things. Let me put it in modern day terms. I'm going to heal this guy by one of your sacred cows. This sermon is not for anybody else, it's for me. Because it's, it's, it's messed with my mind this week. Don't, don't miss the point here. Both the method and the result in our world are, are important. These people just have to happen to be more concerned with the method than the result. Both are important. If I need money, I can go rob a bank. That's not a good method to get to the end result. So don't, don't take it too far to the extreme. There's a balance of doing things correctly often, if not always, lead in a correct result. But what was contrary to the people of the day was the method. Can you imagine being this guy who was, had mud? Just, okay, go wash, come back. Forced upon his eyes. Probably was offensive to some people. It was definitely offensive to the religious people. I thought about that passage of Scripture in the Bible that talks about the fact that the gospel is offensive. It doesn't mean we try to purposefully be offensive. The gospel is offensive in and of itself. Because it offends man's pride. It offends our human wisdom. Matter of fact, the Bible says it pleased God through the foolishness of the message, the gospel, that people would come to Christ and come to believe. The last thing I see here in this passage of Scripture is something kind of scary. This man does not 
relent. They give him an opportunity to basically say, well, I could actually see a little bit. He just kind of cleaned my eyes out. I'm fine. They gave him several opportunities to deny his testimony. And yet he never did. So what was the result? Well, you and I may not know this result unless we study. I didn't know this result, but we see the result there in verse 34. They finally continue to ask him questions, and then they feel like, well, you're kind of trying to be our teacher and tell us what to do. Who taught you this? Get out. They excommunicate him from the church. The reason that his parents didn't speak up and basically say, uh, you know, we, we, can, we can guarantee that he can see. The reason his parents said, go ask him. They purposely said, go ask him. Because if they had stood their ground themselves, they would have been excommunicated. Which was the culture of the day. There were kind of three degrees for excommunication. If you went against the religious people, they'd say, we're going to put you out for 30 days. You kind of get yourself together and agree with us, we'll let you back in. If you went up against the religious establishment again, they would put you out for another 30 days. If you continued to like this man did, they would eventually say, cut him off entirely and send him out. Now, for us, in our day in the modern Western world, let me just be honest with you, that's not a big deal for a lot of people. The reason why it's not a big deal is because most people, generally speaking, not crossroads necessarily, but most people in the church in America hold in very low regard being a part of a church. Why should I be a part of a church? Why is membership in a church important? Friend, if you're asking me that question, stay after the service, because if you're interested in knowing the answer to that question, we have a new members class, and I'll tell you why. It's a part of identifying with the body of Christ to planning yourself with a local body of Christ, to being held accountable to a local body of Christ, which most people don't like that word, therefore they don't want to be a member of a local church because they don't like that. So for us, we read the fact that he was basically kicked out of the church, the establishment, and we're like, well, I guess he just got on with his life. Because if we don't like something that happens... In the American church, we just pack our bags, take our toys, and we go down the street to another church. That wasn't the case in Bible times, in this time. So for this guy to basically be told, hey, you're not, you're not, you're not agreeing with us. Just go ahead and fess up the fact you know Jesus didn't really... Yeah, okay, bye. Which is a sign, again, of spiritual maturity, spiritual blindness, spiritual emptiness maybe even. They threw out this person because he did not fit their mold. If you, if you, again, you go back and study some of these words where it talks about questioning, it actually is the word interrogate, some of the harshness of what's happening here. They abused this guy. They insulted him. They insulted his family. They basically said, you're all a bunch of liars. Talk about a church conference. Woo, boy, I bet that was a lot of angst going on there. They rejected him. They cast him out. So I've got to wrap up. So here's the question I asked myself this week as I was reading this passage. The Lord asked me, I guess I should say. How's my perception? Am I following the light of the world? Can I see? Are there things in this preacher's life? Are there things in your life? Or the enemy has got me with the wrong perception?
wrong perspective, maybe where I'm blinded, where I don't see things the way God sees them. Some of you will know the name Helen Keller, who was also a blind person, much like Fanny Crosby. And one of her quotes that I love, she said, The only thing worse than being blind is having sight but no vision. You can be physically blind, like she was and like Fanny Crosby was, but still have huge spiritual eyesight and insight. Conversely, the opposite is also true. You can have great vision. You can read three lines below the 2020 line, which I used to could do that. Now I'm like, maybe three lines above the 2020 line I might can read. You can read way below the 2020, have fantastic physical eyesight, and yet not have spiritual eyesight. Somebody said it this way, to be so self-deceived as to shut one's eyes to the light is indeed a desperate state to be in. The light is there. The light is there. But if I refuse to avail myself of it and reject it, how then will I be enlightened? As Jesus said at the end of this passage, their sin remains. Let's read the last few verses of this chapter to wrap it up. Here's what he says. Jesus, verse 35, when he heard they put this man out, He found the man and asked this question, Do you believe in the Son of Man? And the blind man answered and said, And who is he, Lord, that I may believe in him? Jesus said to him, You've both seen him. And he is the one talking with you. Whew! Man! Wow! Wow! And the man said, Lord, I believe. And he worshipped him. Jesus says, for judgment I came into this world that those who do not see may see, and those who see may become blind. Those of the Pharisees who were with him heard these things and said to Jesus, we're not blind too, are we? Jesus said, if you were blind, you would have no sin, but since you say we see, your sin remains. In other words, if you've got to ask me if you're blind, you're blind. You're blind. Would you pray with me? Father, I thank you for today. Lord Jesus, I thank you for the power of your word. Thank you, Lord, how it's spoken to me this week. God, you know the prayer of my heart today. And for my dear friends in this room. Lord, if there's any area of our life, if there's any area of my life where I'm spiritually blind, I pray in the name of Jesus that your Holy Spirit would take off the blinders. I pray for these friends, Lord, that you would help us. Would you take off the blinders? If there's any area of our life where we're blind, maybe with our kids, maybe with our spouse, maybe with our finances, maybe with our relationship with you, maybe our relationship with this body, this church. Open the eyes of our heart, Lord. We've sung it. Would you do it, please? Dear friend, while you're there in your seat praying this morning, in just a moment, we're going to have a song of invitation. Joey's going to lead us. He's going to invite you to stand. I don't know who the message was for today. 
And I just want to feel, feel the need and to, to say this. Church family, the altar is a place of hope. If you need to come down front this morning, whether it's to pray or whether it's to grab the, my hand or the hand of Heath this morning and just say, hey, here's what's going on. Would you pray for, for me? Maybe you need to come to the front to these steps and kneel or some of these chairs up front and just confess to the Lord, Lord, I'm blind in this area. I need you to take, take away the blindness. I need to see. I want to see. I just want to tell you, church, there's nothing wrong with doing that. That's what this altar is for. That's what this front of the room is for. Yes, you can do that in your seat, and I hope that you will. But sometimes there's something great about just physically moving if you need to. You may say, well, I'm worried about what people will think. Well, please don't. Because compared to God, we're all so unimportant and insignificant. I would so much rather you leave this place with God's smile upon you, knowing that you obeyed Him, than you obeyed your neighbor. So in just a second, we're going to stand and we're going to have a song. And if that's you, if there's some decision you need to make today, maybe you're visiting and you've been visiting... And you need to put your roots down here as your church home. I can't think of a better church to be a part of. I would invite you just to come down and grab my hand or Heath's hand and say, hey, I need to plug in. I need to plant my seed here, put my roots down right here in this church. I'm going to invite you to do that. Father, I pray during this invitation you would have your way. You'd speak to our hearts and open our eyes. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Would you stand with me as we sing together? If you need to respond somehow this morning, I pray you'd be obedient to what God lays on your heart today. Let's sing together. We hope you've been challenged and inspired from today's message. You can find out more about the message you have heard today by visiting our website, hope at crossroads.org. If you live in the upstate South Carolina area and you're looking for a church home, we hope you'll come by and visit sometime. Details about our church and service times can also be found online. In addition, we want to invite you to check out some of the great items at our website that will help you, or you can give as a gift to a friend. Devotionals and other resources are all available at hope at crossroads.org. Thanks again for listening, and we hope you will tune in again next week.